0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Hi, and welcome to Maths Appeal. I'm Bobby Seagull.
2: And I'm Susan Okereke.
1: And why are we doing the Maths Appeal podcast series? We're both maths teachers and we're strongly aware that there's a negative reputation in this country. And we're really excited about the subject, as you can tell. And we want to help try and play a small part in helping people re-evaluate and think actually maths is quite a cool subject.
2: We want people to be empowered by the fact that they can do maths, even if they find it difficult. That's then where the magic happens.
1: Exactly. Nothing wrong with finding something difficult.
2: Indeed. And so every week we discuss a fundamental key maths topic. So Bobby and I discuss that as teachers, what people find difficult and how we deliver it. And this week our topic is multiplicative reasoning easy for me to say
1: <laughs> Got <it> there <laughs> eventually and then everyone who knows me knows that I like a puzzle then we have our weekly uh, puzzle on that topic
2: and every week we have a special guest interview from somebody else who loves maths and so our special guest this week is Mike Ellicock chief executive of national numeracy charity an organization that helps adults and children across the UK to improve their numeracy skills
1: and then after that you know have a puzzle, you've got to have a solution. We discuss our solution to the puzzle. But before we get stuck in, we just want to say a big thank you for taking the time to download this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we really appreciate your support. And I can see Susan now stretching her arms out this wide, really this much. Yeah, really. Huge. <laughs> appreciate your support in spreading the word. So if you can subscribe, give us a nice rating. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram. We're at MathsAppeal. Or you can tell your friends about it. That would be great.
2: Right, so let's get stuck into some mathematics. Multiplicative reasoning is our topic for today. Before we go, we go into the topic, we want to sort of explain how we set out this section. And this section, Bobby and I discuss as maths teachers how we think about the topic, how we then deliver it to our students, and then also some of the pitfalls our students have when they learn it, just to kind of break down what the topic is. So... Multiplicative reasoning as a definition that I've... Have you got one, Bobby?
1: Uh, again, I'd, I'd, people try to explain the impact of it, but I didn't find a specific mm. definition of multiplicative reasoning. Well,
2: I found one from the DFE, which I'll, I'll just read out just in case. So I think The
1: Department for Education. Thank you for mm.
2: clarifying. I'm going to read it out because I've only really... Read, the last year for me, I've kind of really found out how powerful this topic and wide-reaching this topic is. So definition from the DFE is multiplicative reasoning refers to the mathematical understanding and capability to solve problems arising from proportional situations, often involving an understanding and application of fractions as well as decimals, percentages, ratios and proportion. So it's huge.
1: Lots of topics there. Yeah. Really fundamental topics.
2: And also it's a type of thing. So when I first started to think about it, and I'm actually doing some work with the the NCETM, so that's the National Council of Excellence for Maths Teaching. And that's, right? Teaching,
1: <laughs> teaching of Maths. Teaching of Maths, sorry. <laughs> Thank
2: you. Um, and I've been sort of doing some work with a few of their maths hubs around this uh, in the, the last sort of couple of years. And understanding the breadth of this topic and how it, it kind of touches majority of the content that we deliver in uh, in mathematics, up to GCSE, um, it's kind of revolutionised my view of math teaching. So it's not first when I first heard the term, I thought it was just to do with multiplying and dividing, mm. and it's so much bigger than that.
1: Yeah, scaling, your area, your ratios, proportions, and if kids don't grasp multiple, can I get the word right? <laughs> multi? applicative reasoning it means that they access to a lot of higher level topics like whether it's trigonometry and you're rearranging an equation you need to multiply things that that's just not accessible
2: totally so it's that whole idea so i think the key thing from the definition i get i get is that as you're increasing one thing by a scale so by by multiplying it you're also doing it to sort of another and it's the same as if you're dividing it you're dividing it by that same scale and um what blew my mind when I first started, like thinking about it was the fact that it is in so many different topics like if you look at currency rates you know if you want to convert between pounds and euros or dollars mm. that is multiplicative reasoning if you want to look at the scale of a map and if you have to recreate that um, draw drawing the scale and looking at similar, some similar shapes that is also multiplicative reasoning
1: these are all practical things that people need not just at, at school but in real life
2: yeah Actually, one of the challenges we were giving when I went on some training was to think of a topic that doesn't include multiplicative reasoning. And that's something I'm going to put out to (laughs) our our listeners because we did uh, we talked about it a lot in our training session and no one could really find something. Did everything come
1: back to, oh, there needs to be some reasoning for multiplication?
2: Yeah, I think we kind of came to this. If you do think of anything, do please uh, let us know on our Twitter and Instagram at Math Appeal. But when it comes to delivering it, to teaching it... The issue I sometimes have is what strategy to use, because there are now so many. Uh, Before, you know, I would maybe have taught ratios differently to how I might have taught things like scale in maps or things like proportional questions. But now I try and do them all with the same similar strategy. But I'm trying to work out what my favourite is. So I like the idea of using a bar model to do it. Also, we heard of double number lines. Yeah. So it's like you have, you know, recipe question where it's like. Oh, you're getting you need... me hungry now. I don't get recipes. So. <laughs> we, we all love biscuits. <laughs> um, so we say you have a, a recipe question where it's to make, say, four biscuits, you need 100 grams of something. You can then have your number of biscuits and your 100 grams is four and then you can then scale down the way so to make two biscuits how many would that be and then you could that would be 50 and then to make one would be then 25 mm-hmm. and then you could then scale up to make 11 or to make um 30 and again i'll just put a visual of that on our instagram so double number lines are amazing also do you, i use there's an arrow as well that
1: i have not seeing this arrow. What's this?
2: So again, if you have, if we have four biscuits, is equivalent to 100 grams. But underneath it, you kind of maybe scale down to one. So that means you've divided by four on both sides. Okay. And then um, that then gives you 100 grams becomes 25 grams. I think seen have done
1: ratios before. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So how, how do you go about it?
1: So I think firstly I try and establish what level of understanding or recall do students have of the times tables. Because oh, I think yeah. times tables to me are quite important for multiplicative reasoning. But they've got at go this time. And if kids haven't got that sort of recall of three times four is twelve, mm. I'm gonna to have to go back to actually showing them how, what what does that mean? So three times four I might use um, an interlocking tower or blocks yeah. or arrays. So three rows of four four dots. Is that yep, correct? Yep, yeah, yep, yep. Um, if they've got that, then I can progress them on to other topics. But I now learn increasingly not to assume that they've got that recall. I know there's a distinction between someone that can recall seven times six is 42 and someone that understands what that actually means. Yeah. But I always go, actually, do they even know it in the first place?
2: I suppose without that core conceptual understanding, proportional questions become impossible. Because yeah. as you say, being able to say that seven times six is 42, that doesn't necessarily mean that you know that that is seven lots of six things which actually without knowing that you are not going to be able to kind of attempt sort of proportional style questions so again I think the visual element is really important Um, but I think one of the issues I think I have having learnt a few of them now is what ones do you share and if you share a variety how do you do that without confusing students and I'm learning myself, I think, is the whole idea of practising using them. I think you'll see some of them with the puzzles that you give. I try to use kind of visual representations because I think it can make problems a lot easier. But the conceptual understanding needs to be there for for people to be able to use those strategies.
1: Yeah, and and what I find is that with whole numbers, integers, mm-hmm. there are some students that feel, ah, I think I've got it, I understand, you know, seven lots of six, what that means. But then as soon as you introduce, let's say, fractions, yeah, imagine we did one seventh times one sixth. Oh, gosh. Then they start getting confused. confused.
2: But again, I think that's, again, where the power of a diagram can really demystify it. Because I think if you're working with always with abstract numbers, and you're not really connecting them to what that means in a visual or real setting, There's that's where confusion can lie. Because I the think there's loads of procedures, you know, of different ways of working stuff out. You know, if you were to find, um, you know, three quarters of something, you know, that divide by the bottom, times by the top, there's all these things that are kind of rote.
1: Yeah, learned. the operation, how you mechanically... But what does that
2: actually mean? And yeah. once you understand the meaning, it's like, then you can effectively use that strategy for any question. Yeah. I think a lot of the time, especially when it comes to GCSE-style problems the issue a lot of students have is reading the question understanding what it is and then working out what to do and that's where understanding Mm. is really really essential and you know being able to problem solve because you conceptually understand what's happening and that I think, just takes time. I
1: actually noticed the new GCSEs do have more Mm. proportional reasoning type questions. Yeah. Yeah. So if kids are going out there in the real world trying to make a cake (laughs) and they've got their proportions incorrect, you know, we're going to have a whole nation of bad cake makers and we we can't afford that.
2: Especially with Bake Off being Ah. so, you know, huge. Yeah. As we say, multiplicative reasoning is a huge topic and it's kind of a core one that can make many of the topics that we learn actually one topic. And it'd be great to hear what different people's strategies are. You know, I'm gonna we're going to share on our Instagram and Twitter some of our examples of, you know, double number lines, bar models, the arrows. But if does anyone have any other suggestions, we'd love to hear from you at Maths Appeal. So
1: But I think it's puzzle time. Exactly. Again, rub my hands in glee. So (laughs) you, Susan, run a pet shop with two hamsters called Victoria and Albert. Victoria (laughs) gave birth to 10 baby hamsters, five male and five female. These particular hamsters can breed when they're four weeks old. And their babies are born after two weeks of pregnancy. So each female hamster will only have one litter, and all the litters will have ten babies, split exactly between five boys and five girls. So your puzzle is, how many hamsters will there be in total after 12 weeks?
2: OK, right. Okay, I think you might have to go through that one more time. Quite a few
1: numbers, yeah. Yeah, but you're just just trying to think of the order of things. So one more time. Okay, so you've got two hamsters, Victoria and Albert. Sure. And they've given birth to ten baby hamsters. Five are male, five are female. Wonderful. And these hamsters can breed when they're four weeks old. Right. And their babies are born two weeks after the pregnancy. Right. And each female hamster only has one litter. And all the litters have 10 babies split exactly between five boys and five girls. So using this information, after 12 weeks, how many hamsters will there be?
2: Right. So got that noted. Thanks, Bobby. Okay. so while you're thinking about that, and I'm thinking about that, let's hear from Mike Ellicock, the Chief Executive of National Numeracy.
1: So Susan spoke to him a little while ago, and I'm really looking forward to hearing this conversation because I've got a personal interest in National Numeracy as
3: one of their ambassadors, over to you, Mike, and Susan. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
4: My name's Mike Cook. I'm chief exec of independent charity National Numeracy. So National Numeracy was founded in 2012. I was involved in that. And we're all about enabling everyone in the UK to be confident and competent to use numbers and data so that they can make good decisions in their daily lives.
2: Why does it exist?
4: Uh, there was an independent report or a report written by a charity think tank looking at what uh, charities are doing around maths and numeracy. There's a load of charities out there, probably six, uh, broadly around literacy. So the National Literacy Trust, Book Trust, Reading Agency, trying to help people you know, who struggle to re- read and write to, to um, build those skills across the age range. And so they recommended that an organisation be set up roughly equivalent to the National Literacy Trust to f- bring the attention onto numeracy. And the real driver for that was the, the Skills for Life survey data of adult skills in the UK, which showed that from 2003 to 2011, the literacy levels had actually improved quite substantially. So from 44% of the population to 57% of the population working at Level 2, which is roughly equivalent to a GCSE pass, in literacy. Mm-hmm. On the numeracy side, it had gone the wrong way and from a much lower base. So from 26% of the population in uh, 2003 to 22% of the population in 2011. So, so
2: Sorry, 22% yeah. of the adult population
4: are at level 2.
2: And that's a GCSE equivalent?
4: Yes, yeah, it. equivalent to a C or a 4 at GCSE. So that's
2: almost 80% are not.
4: Yes, 78% of the adult population could not do a kind of foundation tier GCSE question or you know sufficient to get a pass yeah that's
1: correct what
2: are those actual numbers
4: uh so depending on whether you do it on the working age population yeah um but it's around 30 million adults there's about 42 40 um, odd million working age adults and depending on exactly how you cut it it's one of the numbers that we used when we launched actually was 17 million adults working at primary school levels. So that's the next level down. So fit, right. so the, the two key stats, quite easily mathematical as well, <laughs> is half the population are working at primary school levels and three quarters of the population. It's a bit more, but roughly three quarters of the population are working below the level we expect of a 16 year old. Wow. So our big drive and we're very interested in what's going on in schools but the main in schools as you well know susan (laughs) it's initiative overload um the politicians like pulling levers and and things keep changing all the time whereas when you get out of the school system it's it, it is nothing there's absolutely nothing innovative going on and very little support and actually diminishing support diminishing spend for for anyone who wants to either brush up on their numeracy skills or actually, um, you know, become numerate for the first time. Um, So we spend most of our time and energy thinking about the stock of adults. Um, So if we think about the flow through the system and then the stock of adults, so there are 20, 30 million adults who definitely need support in terms of their numeracy skills. Um there are about seven hundred thousand kids in each cohort going through the school system. You who know, obviously need support. there's a lot of support there. They're a captive audience um once you get out the back of that, it's um, a bit of a know. desert yeah
2: wow so your so your charity's effectively targeting adults who need support and um, want support,
4: yeah. I mean, it's, we're, we're cradle to grave in terms of our interest. Um, so we, we're very interested in parents. We've got something called a family mass toolkit, which okay. I'd uh, recommend your listeners uh, search and, and have a look at online. Um, but yeah, our main tool is the National Numeracy Challenge. So that's an online adaptive assessment. Uh, it's multiple choice. You can access it on a phone. Um, you register and then you you get presented with an assessment. It takes between half an hour, forty-five minutes, to work through, and it works through the different areas of of maths. And you get a score at the end of it. So it's um,
2: like a, a test. Yeah, it's an, an interactive, interactive test. Yeah, it's
4: an thing. assessment, and it's adaptive. That's one thing to, to okay. bear in mind. So so people who are a bit more numerate, you, you if you keep answering questions right, you get harder and harder questions. So you'll get questions that go up into kind of level three questions, and they're built around a, uh, something that we developed. Uh, with Lynn McClure at Cambridge Maths and, and various other mathsy people, plus businesses, unions, um, called the Essentials of Numeracy. Right. So what we what we tried to do was think, think of if you start with a blank sheet of paper mm-hmm. and you think of demand pull rather than supply push. Mathematics education has basically been driven by supply push. So you get some mathematicians and some politicians together in a room and they decide what everyone needs to study in uh, maths. A
2: curriculum.
4: In a curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> and that is pretty historic. You, know, when, we, when we look at what we study in maths, particularly through secondary maths, mm. a lot of it we don't really use uh, in the real world. Uh, and that's fine. You know, We're not necessarily knocking that. Some of, the, some of that's good kind of brain exercise. But what we're really interested in is do people have confidence and competence so they can... L- use numbers and data in daily life so the essentials of numeracy right at the center of it is being numerate Mm. and which is about decision making problem solving and reasoning and then the kind of tools of maths around the outside
2: well it's it's a combination of things i definitely feel that that should be happening more in schools but Mm. also once people have done the test then what happens
4: yeah so that's crucial and and lots of people think the national numeracy challenge is just a just a a, a test we call it the check-up um after that People can get... If you get more than 80, you've got the essentials of numeracy.
2: OK, so you're in yeah. that 20-something percent.
4: You're in the... Yeah, you're in the, you're in the 22%, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get less than 80, then you get rooted into learning resources. And what we've done is curated about 700, 800 learning resources from all kinds of different sources, BBC mm-hmm. Skills Wise, places mm-hmm. like that, Khan Academy, actually, there's a few in there, to focus on the areas that people struggled with. Okay. So that's the basic idea. So you get a spiky profile, then you'll get... Um, rooted into resources and people can click out do something click Mm -hmm. back in at any time they can take the check up again and they can improve so our kind of essential model apart from the essentials of numeracy essential model is this thing around building mathematical resilience Mm. and we think there's three elements to that the first is about value the second is about mindset and the third is about effort and um, we come sometimes some kinds of belief, belief or mindset. So the, the value piece is, you know, why is this relevant to me now? Of course, as a secondary maths teacher, mm-hmm. you get that all the time. Yeah. And the reality is some, some is directly relevant to people being able to manage their finances or whatever else. Some elements of secondary school maths are less directly relevant, but yeah. they're still good stuff to do. Once you recognise that this is important, once you recognise there isn't a maths gene that you don't have, or rather every human has the genetic no. makeup to be numerate, but you're going to have to put one foot in front of the other. Yeah, you've got yeah. to sort of put
2: some effort in. Yeah, put some graft Perfect. in. And that's the same with everything. Fantastic. So what's your story? How did you get involved in this?
4: <laughs> that's, uh, that's probably longer than the interview. But that, I mean, going uh, reverse chronologically back, when the report was written suggesting something like this get set up, I was working for Oxford University Press because I'd sold... I ran a business called Numicon, which oh, yeah. is, yeah, so that, that was my business, um, set up by my mother-in-law, who was a primary <laughs> school head teacher and an academic from Brighton University. So I ran that business, and then we ended up selling it to Oxford University Press. And the really interesting thing about Numicon, it was involved in the Every Child Counts programme, which yeah. was a, a, a government initiative, and we found that where local authorities embedded the use of Numicon effectively with training from our team Every single child in that LA in year two, it was a year two intervention, made over 20 months improvement in That's their very, maths age oh wow. in a 12-week intervention. That's
2: almost two years.
4: Yeah, so it was, it was really... Rem- and that was every child who was on the intervention. Right. And the intervention was targeted at the bottom 5% of kids in year two. So... That kind of got me thinking. Yeah, at the same time at setting up National Numeracy, I set up a startup in a completely different space. I used to be a professional athlete, so um, it was to do with hydration and stuff like that. But <laughs> so, yeah, so Revert, that was kind of my route into this massive space, was running Numicon. Before that, I worked in the city for HSPC as a corporate banker. Before that, I did an MBA. Before that, I was an officer in the parachute regiment um, for seven and a half years. And it was actually being an officer in the parachute regiment is one of the big motivators for for really shouting about the problems around GCSE at the moment, particularly the fact that the bottom third automatically fail. That's how it works because it's a cohort yeah. reference system because pretty much all of my soldiers had failed GCSE maths, oh, English. Wow. And then you have to pick them up in the workplace because, of course, you need to be numerate to be a soldier, um, or to be a healthcare assistant or to be a nurse, you know, or, every to, job, or, yeah, everywhere. or to be an early years practitioner or whatever yeah. else. And yet, or a hairdresser, we, yeah, and yeah exactly. Definitely. And, and so we're automatically f- telling a third of our 16 year olds, you can't do maths by default. And we I think that's just a travesty. I think the reason why that doesn't get the airtime it deserves is because they're other people's children they're oh, not wow. no I mean seriously they're not politicians children they're not people the, the commenterati the journalists, the whatever else are pretty sure that they can get their kids either mm-hmm. you know into that top two thirds or if they're pretty dodgy they'll pay for some tutoring or whatever so it's because it's I think it's other people's children uh, are those that are in the bottom third mm-hmm. and, uh, and we're automatically telling them they fail and that's that's pretty that's stupid awful. as a system yeah, yeah. and we've we've got data for, so In the National Numeracy Challenge, if if your listeners have a go at that, there's 26, it's about to be reduced to 21, attitudinal questions. Mm. And we can map that across seven different variables. One of them is around mass anxiety. Mm. What we found from that data, and it's 40,000 people's data now, is the 16-year-olds have the highest level of mass anxiety higher than 17 year old and, and then that drops and drops to the age of 25 and then it pretty much plateaus okay. so it would suggest that our education system is creating maths anxious young people oh which is exact opposite of what we want we want them to be coming out of the system confident and competent mm-hmm. to use numbers and data mm-hmm. um, so they can go on with the life
2: so thanks to mike Ellicock, chief executive of national numeracy it's
1: actually in may 2018 under sort of Mike's stewardship, National Numeracy had its first ever UK's National Numeracy Day. And there's one stage where I was on BBC Breakfast with Rachel Riley talking about numeracy. Mm. And then Martin Lewis, another ambassador, was on ITV. So we were on BBC One and ITV talking about the importance of numeracy. And and I'll show you one of the things that we ask people. And and this, this is a question that half of the adults in the UK can't get right with or without a calculator. So here's the question. You're earning £9 an hour. Yep and your boss gives you a 5% increase on that. Half the adults in the UK cannot get this right with or without a calculator. But then what that
2: shows, because we're going to be doing percentages in our next episode, yeah. but what that sh- shows is that this is essential for people's lives. Yeah. People who are going to be working need to be able to work out if there has been an increase or a decrease in their wage.
1: They just can't.
2: But then that's why we're here, Bobby.
1: No, we're here to help <laughs> change that
2: because it's that's huge that's you know that's people's actual lives and that's half of the population of this country
1: yeah it's, it's just shocking again i i did an assembly with my year 7s in my school recently and i said hands up who thinks they're not good at maths and a lot of hands went up let me put your question here and i put that question up on the board mm. and most kids were able to say okay 10% is 90p half yeah. of that 5% 45p yeah. add it on 945 and i told the kids if you can get that You've got ready. a skill that's better than half of the adults in the UK and that's But then what was amazing about oh,
2: and really quite sad about what Mike was saying was he was talking about how every year we sort of are effectively generating young people who are gonna become adults who are like math anxious, which, you know, like in school there's a lot of it's high stakes because loads of school every school, their math results and English results are kind of what the school is judged on regarding league tables. So it's it's high stakes for teachers to try and get kids through these exams. Doesn't really matter how good the quality of their learning is being, they just want the results to just be just on that
1: exam day in May and June you you can regurgitate all the maths. And then
2: you're free and you've got your result. But that's not the real world we live in because all these people are then meant to be going into the workplace and should effectively competent mathematicians to do basics like work out if they've got a wage increase. Mm-hmm. But what's sad is that's not the case and, you know, also, it's not the case, and plus, those people who are now young, from young people to adults, there's hardly any support for them. That's why this, this charity is so important, because without it, there's, what, five, they said five different charities for literacy? Yeah. And they're, like, the only one for numeracy, which is insane. Yeah. Because it's such a need. Like, I- it's, it's it, his chat really blew my mind, because I'd not really thought about the extent of the numbers. Like, 30 million
1: adults. Yeah. The numbers are staggering, and again, I've got in front of me their, a copy of their their latest, almost like brochure of what they do, and it says here that the total cost of the UK economy uh, is 20 billion pounds a year, and a year? For, every, for every individual, it's 460 pounds because of poor numeracy. So this didn't you know, it's not just like an ethereal, oh, you should know your trigonometry and your Pythagoras. It's actually hitting your back pocket because people can't work out whether a you know, an exchange rate they're getting at their travel agents or whether it's a good one or yeah, not. Yeah, because they just they they can't sit down and understand the, the, the mechanics of numbers. Well, yeah. that's I mean, that's
2: kind of exactly why we're doing this really, isn't it? Because I think I've, I've gone from shock to just thinking, well, this is definitely a need. And it's, a, I think, what Mac Ellicock and the charity are doing is so wonderful. And I think, actually, it's such an important part of our society that we need to start shifting this as a taboo. It's something Attitude that Attitude
1: needs, needs to change. at
2: least, and, it, and it's in a way that it's not just, oh, I can't. It's you you can and you must, you know, for, you, for yourself and for your kids. And actually, the support for you. I think he was sort of talking about the family maths toolkit which is on the national numeracy website so if you're interested in sort of doing stuff to support your kids you should definitely look into that also the numeracy the national numeracy challenge so that's where if you're an adult and it's something that's always been an issue for you your maths kind of skills and it's something that's maybe in a bit of something that you want to fix go onto the website do the little test and start to get better you know it's an incredible tool it's completely free and it's also support if you need it so however bad you think you might be now you can and you should get better
1: exactly so it's nationalnumeracy.org.uk and we also tweet out links to it and other learning resources so head on over to at appeal for more information and let us know how you get on if you take the national numeracy challenge
2: yeah we'd love to hear you your, your good stories we'd love to hear positive positive math stories So, Bobby, let's get back to your puzzle. Can you remind us of the question? And let's
1: kind of go through the answers. Yeah, so the question was, Susan has a pet shop. I do. I don't. (laughs) With two hamsters, Victoria and Albert. And Victoria gave birth to ten baby hamsters, five male and five female. And these hamsters can breed when they're four weeks old and then their babies are born after two weeks of pregnancy. Mm. That's six weeks there. So each female hamster only has one litter and the litters have 10 babies, and it's always going to be five boys and five girls. So how many hamsters are there at the end of 12 weeks? Okay, so <laughs> I have to say, when you
2: first said this out loud, uh, I was a bit like, there's a lot of information. A lot, yeah. Uh, and then, then I wrote it down, yes. and I did a little table Ooh, and a bit of a okay. diagram. Oh, uh, and so I think I sort of worked out that, from week zero, so where you sort of start, you've got Victoria and Albert, you've got five males, five females, okay? Right. So that's 12. And then after six weeks, so you've got your getting to maturity and then getting pregnant and then having the babies, which is six weeks, each of the females, each of the five females, then have a litter of 10, and then there's five males, five females in each litter. So that's after six weeks, there is an extra 50 hamsters. Right. And then... Of those 50, five of the females in each litter has another 10. Correct. So that's 50 times five, which is 250. So adding that all together, 12 plus 50, plus 250, which is 312.
1: And that's the number I have here. Boom. Boom.
2: And I will show, again, we're going to show our solutions on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Maths Appeal. But yeah, like it was one of those things when it started, I was
1: like... Because there's a lot of information. I would say sometimes with maths problems, especially ones that you listen to, you might, oh, I I got the answer straight away. Whereas this one does require you to write, get a pen and paper for sure, write down the, the key information, distill it, and then, like Susan's got a lovely little diagram showing... How she's worked it out. I do love a table. You do. I do love a table. Yeah. Um, she likes IKEA as well. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um,
2: yeah. So I have to say, I did feel quite satisfied yeah. when I'd done it. Yeah. But it was, I, I did feel at
1: first when you started speaking, I was like, that's a lot of words yeah, yeah. and numbers. <laughs> but I feel very satisfied with myself. And that's it for us. Thanks again for downloading this episode of Maths Appeal. If you fancy subscribing, telling your mates to subscribe or giving us a five-star rating, that'd be amazing. And our guest next week is Gareth Jones, who you may
2: know better as Gaz Top, one of the presenters of How To from back in the day.
1: And he's going to talk to us about his love of maths and science. Oh, a- I love that guy's programme. Um, before we go, one final bit of maths trivia. And again, this is taken from the the cuts of the my book, The Life-Changing Magic of Numbers. So. Here's a quote from Alice in Wonderland or Alice's Adventure in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. So she says in chapter two, four times five is 12 and four times six is 13 and four times seven is, oh dear, I shall never get to 20 at this rate. And it sounds all jumbled up, yeah? Yeah, I think she's made a few mistakes. Four times five is 12. But there are people out there on the internet that have said, actually, she's using a different base system. Oh. So four times five is obviously 20 in our base system. But right. if you use base 18, where the first column, as it were, is all units, and the second column is all 18s, yeah. and the third column is Eight. 18 squares. Oh, whoa. So it's actually, it's, you know, four times five is 12 in base 18, and four times six is... 13 and base 21. Um, so there you go. Alice in Wonderland is uh, just uh, working in a different base system to us. But Two different base systems? Yeah. And actually, I think the last one, she even worked in base 24. So yeah, multiple base systems.
2: That is a trippy book.
1: So the next time you read Alice in Wonderland, you know, there's maths in there. It's everywhere, Bobby. <laughs>
2: so thank Bobby and thank you for listening. Matt's appeal is presented by Susan Okureke and Bobby Siegel.
1: And the music's composed by Kelly Okureke. The image design is by Kellex Davis. And the producer is the wonderful Jenny Nelson.
0: Planning for your next trip?